My style of teaching bracing is very influenced from what I learned with Quinn Hannock's clinical weightlifting seminar, where you, you think of the canister effect and you think of expanding outward into the belt. Most of these guys that I've had up until this point, just like push down and forward and pressures don't really know where to go and they're not being managed well. And eventually the pelvic floor just doesn't know how to function. So if the pelvic floor is technically supposed to relax and give a little bit when you're in the bottom of a squat, it's more of like the elastic properties should be taking place. Well, if it's rigid and it can't expand, it's like a battering ram. It's going out because it's acting like a door instead of a trampoline is how I explain it. This is the Strategy of Fitness podcast. Our goal is to energize and entertain fitness enthusiasts by sharing insights from experts in the health and wellness community. From physical therapy perspectives to interviews with professional athletes, special operators, nutritionists, and coaches. We want to help you be your best self. Welcome to the Strategy of Fitness. in the strategy of fitness. It has a nice ring to it, doesn't it? Check out the link in our Instagram bio. Get $30 off your first month subscription. Get the brand new 4.0 and start this year off right. Track your sleep, track your recovery, track your daily strain. There's no better tech to wear every single day and hold you accountable. Of course, this podcast is your weekly accountability buddy, but there's nothing better on the market than Whoop. Check it out. Welcome back to the Strategy of Fitness Podcast. My name is Nick Cressy. Joined weekly by Dan Gordon and Rob Roland. Boys, what's new with you? Just having a uh, terrific night here. About to get in with our boy, Doc Mills. About some men's pelvic health. This was the one interview because at least me and Rob, you know, have some professional background in this. Not this particular issue, but in general, the same profession. Nick, you would have taken this interview and completely lit it on fire. So big missed opportunity. Might have to get him back just to have you ask him dick questions. Yeah, in full transparency, folks, I was sick and the boys went on without me. But it sounds like for everyone's best interest in actually educating the audience, it was good that I probably wasn't on. So I'm excited to listen to that back, to be honest with you. Uh, Anything worth talking about in the gym this week, guys? Nothing too exciting here, getting my legs back. Just an interesting little workout. I did some 200 repeats, so every two minutes on the minute, a 200 and trying to keep everyone sub 40, I was able to do so. So kept everything between 36 and 39, 38 seconds, somewhere in that neighborhood for 10 rounds. It was a nice little track workout and getting the uh, 5K time. I think I hit a, I just did a 5K, just a little time trial on Wednesday, 22.33. So that's a 7.13 mile, so not epic, but like I think that's about a minute off my PR. Um, I definitely going sub seven, so getting my little legs back. I was going to ask, what's on the agenda? Do you have a do you have a race? Do you have a distance that you're looking at, or are you just kind of having fun right now? I'm having fun because you know I could, I've done half marathons. I'm not really ready to make the full commitment to a marathon. Hopefully, with some good news coming up in this uh, in the next three weeks here of my appointment, I can kind of get back to getting more into the Thunderbro stuff again, and that that'd be good. So things are healing nicely. Uh, love to get back to Thunderbro because I was really fun and just I was in a really good headspace doing that stuff and yeah and then just keep up with the running but yeah right now I'm just having fun I've been doing up to like eight miles and just kind of just kind of winging it so yeah nothing crazy 
Good stuff. What about you, Rob? What's new? Legs feeling pretty good. Hammy, Achilles, squats coming back up. I hit like 350 for five. Felt felt pretty easy. I think strength is back. Feeling confident. Just got to start carving time in the schedule so I can get back to where I was at the end of winter time. Power clean was just messing around. Hit a 300. I can't remember last time I power clean 300. So strength hasn't left me. I just got to get through this month and I'll get back to my, my regular routine. What about you, Nick? What have you been up to? Honestly, since quarters wrapped, haven't been all that structured. Just kind of playing around because at this point, it's like I got Murph in a couple weeks, but not really competing or anything. So kind of time to be able to just do what I want to do. I'm kind of thinking if I if I want to just do like a really steady strength, maybe 12 weeks, I think that'd be kind of cool. I think the summer's probably a good time to do it too. Mal and the kids will be out of school. So that, that's kind of what's on my agenda. It's, it's kind of deciding, do I want to keep doing kind of passive CrossFit or would I prefer to maybe do some some track workouts and really dedicate time and in, in getting strong, strong. So I'm still TBD. First things first, got to crush Murph. I don't really train for Murph per se, but I at least, you know, want to go out and, and do well enough. So I usually gauge it a, a couple of weeks out and that's kind of where I'm at now. You got any uh, special plans for doing Murph or you just do it solo? I sent some messages out to some folks and I've gotten a few people that have never done it that are going to do it this year. I don't think we'll do it together. I've done it with Mal the last couple of years. I'm my mom. I think my dad did a, a variation of it last year. And then we get the kids to do like a, a little Murph afterwards and kind of try to teach them about what Memorial Day means. I would love to do a group sesh sometime, but you got to find a box for that because you got to have a lot of pull-up bars. It's great that you teach them what uh, Memorial Day is and, they don't find out when they're 37 on a podcast with their friend who's an actual veteran. That that would be fucking embarrassing for all, all parties. <laughs> Dig back. That's one of our best. One of our Scott Tetlow pods. Him when Dan asked Tetlow. if he could uh, do Murph after he played 18 holes. <laughs> it was epic. Yeah, I, I've disgraced America, I think, every man. I think I, it needs to be a yearly tradition. i got to figure out what I could do to disgrace America. You know, I mean, I've done it for two years in a row. So we'll, we'll see what I have in store. Who knows? Listen in. All right, Jacob, our guest. I know you kind of already did. <laughs> yes, I reached out to William Mills. He's a physical therapist, works at a, at a CrossFit gym. Is kind of how he got his foot in the door, but now he's kind of specialized in men's health. So men's health being all musculoskeletal disorders related to the pelvic region. So Dan and I, even as PTs, you really don't hear much about men's health. And this was just like a fascinating topic for us to dive into. We tried to keep it as mature as we could probably best that nick wasn't there but uh i think it was a really interesting topic i'd love to have him back kind of dive deeper into stuff but uh hope you enjoy all right william mills here from alinea performance well since nick's not here we, we got to ask you what you did in the gym today it's it's a tradition of the podcast i didn't do anything in the gym today i was hog pine so i drove back today in a thunderstorm and i had to leave earlier i was going to get stuck in the mud but on friday i did deadlifts box jumps some single arm rows, some sled pushing, some incline bench. Did I hear you right? Did you say you were hog tying today? Hog hunting. Hog. So this, uh, where, where are you located? I'm in Louisiana. Doing the Ted Nugent style with a minigun or, or how are you hunting hogs? I have a rifle right now. It's turkey season. And one of my cousins is part of a deer lease. And on the off season, I just learned this recently. Feral hogs are a huge problem because they reproduce so quickly. If you have 100 hogs over a season, if you don't harvest 70% of them, 
you're not going to break even by the end of the year. So it's like rabbits and they destroy things. So it's just, it's like a management thing. How good do those fuckers taste? Is it like, I mean, is it like a Christmas ham or what are we talking? They taste like a rat. Like what's going on Usually you're going to make like a sausage out of it. You're usually not eating like hog bacon. At least I don't. Is it good? Like if I oh, were yeah. like, let's say this, if you, if you wanted to do a boar, you know, hog, whatever the fuck they are, you wanted yeah. to do that. Like you did a, a regular farm pig. Is that like, who am I going to know the difference coming over to my house? You're, you're feeding me pig. Am I going to know the difference? You probably would. It's a little gamier. It's almost kind of like dark meat and white meat on a chicken is how I would explain it. So which is the wild one? Is that, is that the dark meat or like, yeah. It, the, dark. the wild one's a little, a little darker tasting. Well, I like I like the dark meat, so I could I could get down with that. So yeah, yeah, I think you should just do it like a regular pig and just fucking <laughs> just start feeding your family with it. Yeah, it is nice to keep the freezer full. So that I mean that was the goal. We didn't see any though. So and you can hunt hogs at night. Is there a limit? Can you use any gun for those things? Like like Rob was saying, can you can use like a mini gun. Like, can you get fucking weird with it? Like, I know they probably don't have any gun laws in Louisiana. You guys just fucking blast them with AR 15s or what? Yeah, you could shoot them with AR 15s. You can't. That's sick. That's yeah. that's that sounds like a fun fucking hunt. Yeah. It's not full auto. You have to have like special business permits to go full auto. So, a friend of mine where I I bought my rifle. He owns Louisiana Firearms in Baton Rouge. He wants to get a state contract. This is a thing. A state contractor, you get a license, you can have like a hunting squad, and you can go full tactical on ATVs with silencers, night vision, lasers, full auto, and basically like wildlife management will place you where you need to be to control the hog problem and the state will pay you to do that you have to you have to bid for it which now can we has. drink during can we drink during this too <laughs> like this is louisiana i don't know how, how weird we're getting will they pay for your booze at least you two can, beer, like you can breathalyze right you can't not drink right they can't they can't be that you know i don't know if it was under a state contract if that would be safe but if you're hog hunting that's kind of like a rite of passage i mean you, right right I'm not going to shoot a hog fucking sober. There should be at least two beers involved at, at some point during the day. Yeah, yeah. it's like golfing. Like, you never want to golf sober. You never want right. to shoot a hog sober. Right. That's awesome, Doc. Yo, so you are a doctor of physical therapy, um, and you have – and Rob reached out to you. You have a very interesting specialty. You do men's pelvic health physical therapy. You also do some orthopedic physical therapy as well. Yep. So for the layman out there, a lot of our listeners are more fitness community – not PTs. What do you do on the day to day? And what does men's pelvic health look like? Sure. Men's pelvic health is a lot of different things. There's a lot of things that can go wrong with your junk on any given timeline in your life. It's not exclusive to old dudes or young dudes, but there are spectrums to it as far as like chance of getting a certain kind of diagnosis at one point or another. I would say the younger man's Issues usually rely more so around sexual dysfunction, you know, pain in the testicles, pain in the penis, pain with ejaculation, issues with erectile dysfunction, uh, lower abdomen pain, rectal pain. All these things can fall into those buckets and have various different reasons as to why those are happening. So I, I treat a smaller percentage of that just by how 
things have worked out with my business. So it's an interesting thing as far as like that conversation is, is one part of men's public health, but as it is right now, like the things surrounding men's pelvic health and pelvic pain in younger men is usually they receive the diagnosis of prostatitis. It's kind of like plantar fasciitis. It's like saying the same thing. Something in or around that area hurts, so we're just going to label it this, and they're going to get put on antibiotics, and it may or may not get better because it may or may not be an infection. Then a lot of these things become chronic. So it's kind of like it's like this weird underground diagnosis where at a society level, society as a whole doesn't know much about it. It's not a common thing. It's not like Susan G. Komen breast cancer, right? So the other side of the men's pelvic health is prostate cancer, um, which is more of what I treat. So I, I do most of my clinical practice based off of Joanne Milios's research. Joanne Milios is a PhD in Australia, and she has found that men will have the best outcomes if they learn how to use their pelvic floor prior to surgery. So we try to see men at least five weeks prior to surgery. And then if you go through the full gambit of learning the skill of how to do a Kegel, forming better habits surrounding bowel, bladder, and sexual function, and learn how to breathe and brace and manage your pressure in that first five weeks, or at least get the ball rolling, you have less symptoms on the back end of the surgery. And in most cases, the expectation at this point with surgeries is you're going to be 80% dry after 12 weeks post-surgically. I tell a lot of guys, everybody's surgery is a little different. Outcomes are a little different. Age affects outcomes, prior level of function, prior level of habits leading up to that point. All of those things will kind of turn into nuances surrounding it. And it's kind of like if you're trying to get 180 degrees of shoulder flexion back, that last five to 10 degrees is usually the most difficult to get back from like a performance perspective. And it's very similar with dealing with incontinence with dudes who have had that issue. So I would say right now, my day-to-day schedule, it kind of fluctuates from 60-40 caseload as far as general orthopedics and performance orthopedics. I still have a healthy amount of barbell athletes and CrossFitters that I treat on a daily basis, but they can flip-flop week to week at this point. So I'm usually putting on my pelvic PT cap as well as performance PT cap simultaneously. At this point, they're kind of just one cap. The same principles coincide across the different issues, different diagnoses, different way of thinking. It's part of why I don't really understand like why certain female pelvic PTs get labeled by other PTs as because they're a pelvic PT, they forget how to do orthopedics. I don't know how you can do that if you're getting someone that you're treating pelvic PT wise to the point of doing performance-based activity if you want to really get them better. That was good. I can, I can think of a million questions already, but before I even get into those questions, yeah. I want to know how you get into this because Dan and I went to PT school together. We had like one weekend of women's health and we're like, honestly, I'm, I'm 10 years out of school. I didn't even know there were PTs specializing in men's health. That's why I was so interested to get you on here. So how did you yeah. fall into this specialty? It very much happened by chance. 
it wasn't on my radar. When I got out of school, I knew that I wanted to, you know, basically do the dock in a box thing, except I was like a dock in four boxes, going to four different gyms in the Baton Rouge area. Before that, like before I fully stepped into that, part of what brought me back was I had met a female pelvic therapist that was going to one of the gyms that I've treated out of for the past two and a half years, uh, Iron Tribe Fitness. One of my closest friends, Hayden, owns that gym. Uh, so I treat out of the gym floor over there. And she was looking to bring on a male because in her practice because she explained to me how underserved it was. And I was like, oh, yeah, that makes sense because I've never heard about it. So, so basically tell me more, right? And she was like, it would potentially very much complement what you want to do with CrossFit and barbell things because it's in a cash PT model. A lot of the guys that are having pelvic PT issues, you get to use a lot of your manual therapy skills. You get to use a lot of your orthopedic skills and you can practice in a cash PT model. So I was like, okay, great. The business side of that didn't end up working out long-term for the two of us, but I still wanted to do it because I still wanted to help the population. And it was a niche at the time that nobody else is in. So to me, it's kind of like, I would say like my background in Olympic weightlifting and my mentors over the years, since I, since I started coaching CrossFit in 2011 are some of the top tier, like Gail Hatch, Brute Strength, Matt Bruce, Will Bahanda, Masters athletes in the weightlifting space. I knew that I wanted to keep doing some level of weightlifting type stuff, but it didn't excite me as much of an opportunity to A, learn something new and B, basically be a trailblazer in the thing. So me and my business partner, Joey Rosie with Alinea, basically call it this is our quest to become the dick lords of pelvic pt so that's that'll make a good that'll make a good shirt you need like some fucking star wars you know lasers going you know it's it's like do you want the straight light light, lightsaber do you want the bendy one you you should definitely make that shirt that's a solid family guy reference (laughs) you've got this practice you have this this niche specialty one of the things you know i like to do for the listeners is if you're out there and you're a male, what are some things that you could do? Just some general tips to make sure you don't encounter some of these major pelvic floor dysfunctions or these major pelvic dysfunctions. What are some lifestyle tips or anything you want to throw out there for the general public to, to keep yourself out of Doc Mills's office? Yeah. So two big things that I've been talking with my quote unquote younger dudes about that we're doing things orthopedically. I tell all my orthopedic patients about what I do for pelvic PT in the hopes of they might have a dad or a friend or so-and-so that they know who has either had prostate cancer surgery or radiation and have had issues or they're coming up on a surgery so on and so forth. So all of my patients know, and I have a big pelvis model on my desk. So like if I'm looking at you guys, my table's in front of me and I have an L-shaped desk. So I'm facing my patient and then the pelvis is right here. So it's like, it's a conversation starter. And then I have a prostate poster on the wall. So people ask. So talking to younger guys, you know, we'll talk 
I've, I've been having more and more conversations about like peeing. One of my patients currently, I noticed that when we were talking frequently in sessions, he would have to pee after like 25 minutes. And I'm like, so do you normally pee every 25 minutes? Like, is that a daily occurrence or is that like you just had a bunch of coffee or you had some beers at lunch that I didn't know about? Or, or is, are you doing this all the time? And from, from a standpoint of like habits, habit forming things, things that are common, but not necessarily normal for an adult male, you should have the capacity to hold your bladder between two and four hours as like kind of a, a scale. And if you're having, you know, high frequency urination, it could be part of a pelvic floor dysfunction. It could be you hydrate like shit. It could be you drink too many bladder irritants. And it's interesting because most of the guys that I find that have urinary and frequency issues will also have a list of other things or vice versa. If I'm treating someone with pelvic pain, another one is farting when lifting. Like it's not really normal. Robin is, I think. I think Robin. <laughs> it's, it's like a you know, prerequisite. Yeah. Like at this point, if I'm in the gym and somebody's lifting and it happens, it'll be like eyes locked from across the room as it's happening in slow-mo. And I'm like, what was that? Does, does that happen frequently? Or do we need to talk more about this? I don't want you to continue to be embarrassed because Dude, how do you keep a straight face at work? I, seriously, I, I'm, I'd am i be I'd be the worst fucking pelvic floor therapist ever. I'm barely keeping it together as is. I've had a lot of practice not reacting to crazy things that I'm told. So I would say it's a lot of practice. Going back to number one, we talk about urination. Is it a bad sign if you're uh, somebody that pees and then dribbles in your pants afterwards? Yes. <laughs> so that's a, that's a good question. You can kind of ask yourself like, what age is the person you're talking to about it? Like, are they an older dude, 40 plus, or is it a younger dude? If it was a younger dude and they're having that issue, they might also be having some kind of pelvic pain issue. Cause most of the guys that I've had that have that issue have a whole lot of hypertonicity in the pelvic floor muscles, super sensitive. The tissue doesn't move. It, it's just pissed off. Like, immediately upon palpation. And if it's happening in the younger population, they have pelvic pain. It kind of goes back to like a ping pong between, is it a habit problem or is it a musculoskeletal issue? And which one will have a positive effect first? When I first start talking to people, that's part of the list of questions of like, do you have any leakage post voiding? And if it's like three to five drops every now and again, it's probably not a huge deal, but some guys that truly have the problem will say, yes, it's every time. Yes. I feel like I still have some blanks in the chamber. I can't get it out just standing there or shaking it. So I actually have to like milk the penis to get it out. We were just talking about hog hunt. I call it a clearing drill. Like you got to clear the chamber before, before you walk away with your weapon, right? Or you're not being safe. So like the golden nugget that I usually give people, if they're having that issue, ask them to do 10 quick flicks of their pelvic floor muscle, like 10 quick up and down lifts with the penis. And it'll typically contract those forward pelvic floor muscles enough to get anything that's left out. 
if they don't feel like it's stuck, but it's still happening, I would just do it as like a clearing mechanism and then see if it works. 9.9 out of 10 times when I've suggested it, it tends to work. So. And when you, when you say that, you know, to do those quick flicks, I remember we had, like Rob said, we had like a weekend of pelvic floor in school, but the instructor gave us a good piece of advice to activate those pelvic floor muscles. What she said is pretend like your dick is a straw and you're trying to suck it in a milkshake. That's aggressive. Yeah, super aggressive. I, I, don't that. I, I like it. No, that's, that, it. It works though, right? Yeah, I say turtle head in the shell. Just okay, like there you go. You could use that one too. Or elephant <laughs> trunk lift. The elephant trunk lift, I like yeah. it. That's a good uh, cue. I like that. I will probably try it out and see what works. I try to limit myself on a daily basis of how much brain power I associate with phallic imagery. I can't do it too much, or then it <laughs> it sort of starts to ruin my day. Right? You'll basically be Jonah Hill and super bad drawing. I was gonna say that, yeah. <laughs> that's so. Like, I want to use that in a highlight reel at some point. Like, there will be a video at some point of us reenacting that and then going to the credit scene. Like, yeah, you can do a deep fake with your face on it. If you know me, you know I'm always on the run, up early and home late. So having a three-hour morning routine isn't really in the cards for me. What is in the cards is AG1. It's a fast way to get vitamins and minerals I need to perform. I first gave AG1 a try because it was, I wanted a single solution that helps support my entire body by filling in nutrient gaps and simplifying my morning routine. Since drinking AG1 daily, I've always felt strong and energized and ready to attack the day. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre- and probiotics, and more, it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's one scoop, mixed in water, once a day, and every day. I know that AG1 is giving my body high-quality nutrition. Every batch of AG1 goes through a rigorous testing process, so you know that it's safe. And AG1 ingredients are sourced for absorption, potency, and nutrition density. AG1 is a supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily, and that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. Here is your chance to start every day this season with a gift to yourself. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash provengrit. That's drinkag1.com slash provengrit. Check it out. You know, and, and he's drawing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. you, you got so much fucking marketing potential between the shirts, between the Jonah Hill <laughs> dick drawings. I mean, yeah. really, really a lot of untapped potential over there. Yeah. I'll have to send y'all. We did a uh, prostate cancer patient kind of marketing video shoot day where me and Joey dressed up as Rambo in scrubs and did a ditch the adult diapers video. I could send you the YouTube link, but I pulled my dad into it. He was the only dude that I can, like, my dad's about to turn 60. So he was the only one that fit the bill of the imagery. And I had this idea of, all right, I was like, okay, dad, I want on film you ripping off of a diaper, throwing it in the air, and me blasting it like a clay pigeon shot (laughs) with my shotgun. And that's how the video starts. It comes out hot. There's a lot of synth. There's a lot of explosions. There's a lot of 80s. And there's a lot of hair. That's the vibe that we're going for 
with prostate marketing. Dude, I love it. I love that dad's uh, getting on board. It sounds like a good man. He's a good team player. Now, when you're talking before about the incompletion with voiding, and you mentioned pelvic pain, can you describe like what symptoms people typically describe with pelvic pain? Is it just pain and like the gooch or the taint, or is it like vary between people? It could be the whole slang. So it could be rectal pain, quote unquote. I feel like I'm shitting razor blades has been something that I've heard or like lightning ass. Lightning ass is one that I actually got from a female patient, but orthopedics who I was treating for a shoulder while she was pregnant. And she was like, what is lightning ass? Why does this keep happening? So I was like, huh, sounds like your pedendal nerve, if I had to guess, because you have a baby in there. So there's that. It could be right smack dab in the middle of the gooch or the perineal body. Um, That's a technical name, because I always say you know, t- there's taint, there's gooch. Is perineal body the best term? Perineal body is the connective tissue, anatomical like artistry of it that I've seen. It kind of looks like a little circular piece of fascia that's thick. And it's kind of like the connective tissue that is in the middle zone between the rectum and the backside of the scrotum. So the perineal body is just anterior of the rectum, but the whole thing, the whole landing strip is the perineum. I think Gooch makes more sense. The <laughs> Usually when I'm talking to a patient, I'm like, this is your urogenital triangle. Oh, or you could say that. You say your urogenital triangle to basically encompass base of the scrotum, ischial tuberosities, butthole. And then on the next sentence, I'm like, but if you want to just call it in layman's terms, we can call it a gooch. And they're like, yeah, gooch. So testicular pain is one. Pain with ejaculation, burning pain in the scrotum, burning pain in the lower abdomen. The fullness in the perineum is usually associated with guys that have been diagnosed with prostatitis. Some people will say it feels like I have a golf ball in there. This is an anatomy quiz real quick, guys. The bulbospongiosum. When's the last time you thought about it? Never. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that we had a TA when I was, we were doing the cadaver lab. They'll probably only learn about female pelvic during that class, huh? Yeah, and and uh, we had this TA. You know, I'm like a puppy dog. You know, first week of anatomy, I'm getting all jacked up. Where and he was like, "Yeah, just go ahead." And I was like a head. And he was like, "Do the pelvic floor." Okay, I'll do the pelvic floor. Little I know, like the dissection of pelvic floor, not not the most fun body part. I never touched the pelvic floor in in cadaver lab. Like it, I remember hacksawing. Like I had a saw and I was going right through the pubic symphysis just to break it up into two sides. Yeah, I wasn't going anywhere near someone's junk. Like, I couldn't do it. It was junk and eyes in anatomy lab that I was I was just a no-go. Anything else, totally fine. Filet of fish, like, let's do it. But the bulbospongiosum is the musculature that is like the three chambers that lead into the three chambers of the penis. So they swell with blood when you get erect. So it's kind of like if you were to feel the base of your penis past the visible, you know how it keeps going into the, into the gooch and into the pelvis. It doesn't just like magically start anterior to the pubic symphysis guys that have like the extreme, I feel like pee gets stuck in the penis or when I ejaculate, it doesn't always all come out. Usually those guys, they're, Bulbospongiosums are like 
It feels like a rock. It's very strange, but they almost jump off the table with just like the smallest amount of pressure. And it's one of those things where it's like the urethra goes through it. So if it can't relax, you're basically keeping the door closed and you're causing all kinds of pressurization issues or you have to start forcing it out. It's just, it's just no good. And from my very rudimentary understanding, a lot of times with the pelvic floor, you're, you're kind of dealing with a battle of either hypotonicity or hypertonicity, right? Yeah. So, so for the listeners, you know, hypotonicity means that muscle tone is very low or relaxed. You might see that in a case like, like somebody has MS or, or, you know, a neurological dysfunction or, you know, hypotonicity that you talk about the bladder irritants. So talk about that tug and pull of like the muscles working too much or it's not working enough. Yeah, I would say the vast majority of hypotonicity I'm typically seeing with older men that have had prostate cancer that have had radiation as well, because radiation can mess up the muscle fibers just like it can anywhere else in the body where you radiate. And they just have such low tone that they're not aware that the pelvic floor is relaxed or or it's so weak that it's not sitting in a relative neutral right? So you, you want to always have a base understanding of a range of motion of the pelvic floor. The problem is most guys are never aware of it because it should be happening mostly reactively when we're lifting and things like that, or reactively during sexual function if you're not having any issues. But hypotonicity is usually going to follow more issues with loss of bladder, any kind of issues like with a rectocele or potential fecal incontinence as well. Hypertonicities, there's also nuance in between them. There are patients that can have both hypertonicity and pelvic pain. It ultimately just depends. But the more common bill for a hypertonicity is things are just very sensitive to touch. They don't like to sit down things feel tired and fatigued. They're just more uncomfortable more often than not. And sitting tends to make everything worse. So that's usually people that, you know, after we have the Gooch conversation, basically kind of boils down to you, you may or may not be a tight ass in this regard, like where your, your pelvic floor is always either lifted or contracted or unable to let go for whatever reason. To, to stay focused on the, the back door for a second here, you talked a little bit about um, like having healthy bowel bladder and sex habits. So bowel specifically, mm-hmm. I feel like I've had so many friends that ask me questions about hemorrhoids and the last population I worked with, a lot of guys like 40s, 50s were getting the hemorrhoid surgery, talking about like the most painful thing ever. Do you have recommendations for people like for, I'm assuming like once it happens, it kind of happens, but preventing going down that road of like getting to these like really severe hemorrhoids? That is more common in that age range because of just the normal processes of aging and and change in tissues, those passive abilities, those postural abilities of the muscle tissue can start to change just like any other tissue, which you also have to look at habits of what starts to happen with those kinds of dudes. Like they usually, if you're asking that population how much water they drink in a day, it's not anywhere close to half their body weight ounces. They're not getting 35 grams of fiber daily and they spend too much time on the toilet. They don't go out of habit. If you're on a poop schedule and it's like 
every time you either smell or take the first sip of your coffee in the morning, you're like, oh, it's time to poop. That's a pretty healthy thing, right? Because your body tells you it's like going to sleep easily, like getting in bed and then falling asleep quickly. Very similar reflex when pooping. If you're chronically straining to poop, that's not normal. It's common. It's not normal. And it's probably one of like two or three things that I would say from an entire PT perspective, it will most likely catch up with you as you age because you're just beating the hell out of your pelvic floor and overpressuring it while not letting it relax. It's like you're creating this tug of war of overpressurization, hard stool that doesn't want to move, and basically an inability to relax and open the poop chute. Some of that happens due to injury. Some of it just happens habitually. But with any kind of hemorrhoid issue, I would say the biggest thing is pressurization over time. And does that tie into some of the um, lifting stuff you coach people? I know you dance that I like to, to fart when I lift. Only when it's hilarious. But um, is that like an indicator of people that are <laughs> kind of having issues with pelvic floor control when lifting? Is that is that the, the signal is to you? It, it could be, but it is very case by case. It's like one of my more recent patients, he's been having pelvic pain and he's been having some issues with erectile dysfunction, but it's mostly normal. And then he noticed that he started farting when he was squatting over 80%. And it's like, okay, well, if you are farting when you're squatting, you might be bearing down too much, like too aggressively and not like my style of teaching bracing is very influenced from what I learned with Quinn Hennock's clinical weightlifting seminar eons ago in 2016, where you, you think of the canister effect and you think of expanding outward into the belt. Most of these guys that I've had up until this point, just like push down and forward and pressures don't really know where to go and they're not being managed well. And eventually the pelvic floor just doesn't know how to function. I don't know if I could absolutely say it gets overstretched, quote unquote, because you could test those people's pelvic floors after the fact, not like immediately after fact, just in general, and it might be strong. So if the pelvic floor is technically supposed to relax and give a little bit when you're in the bottom of a squat, it's more of like the elastic properties should be taking place. Well, if it's rigid and it can't expand, then something is changing about how your pelvis is moving and flexing and torsioning how it should be appropriately when you're going through those ranges of the squat. And then it's kind of like a, it's like a battering ram. It's going out because it's acting like a door instead of a trampoline is how I explain it. That makes a lot of sense. This is stuff I'm just... Even as a PT, I'm embarrassed. I've never really like considered the its effect on some of the bowel and bladder health and sexual function ever. Like until until I heard you kind of talk about this. Yeah. So so Joey's past lifting career was he was a power lifter and he was from Ohio. So he had the opportunity to train with West Side dudes, conjugate dudes, those Ohio dudes. And he never he wasn't in PT school when he was doing all of these things. But he remembers like meat day stuff, like people going through warm ups were just, it was like, he was like, sometimes it would be a symphony of farts, like just, like just farts on farts on farts. <laughs> and I've seen different articles, like 
forum type stuff back in the archives of different powerlifting things where some of the higher level lifters would bring like tampon pads to keep in their shorts because they had such bad hemorrhoids that it, it would get way worse on lifting days. So it's like, I don't really know the hard facts because who's asking the questions, right? And how many people just assume that it's normal? It's kind of like the dude version of incontinence after having a baby. It's like, it's common, but it doesn't have to be normal. It shouldn't necessarily be normal. Or the same thing with like the jumping rope and wetting your pants. Like that's, I feel like that's kind of normalized when it really shouldn't be. Right. Or the deadlifting that's been making its way around because there was a, I forget her name. She pulls so much weight but she just pees all over the platform. It's one of those things where in the powerlifting community, some seem to like wear it as a badge of honor, or I don't know what kind of PT influence they're having. That's a, that's another thing is like the pelvic PT females. They're not all just like CrossFit athletes treating exclusively urinary incontinence issues with double unders. So I don't know if they're truly looking at bracing mechanics in a way that's not going to come off as, so you're telling me just not to fucking lift or like, who are you to tell me not to lift? There hasn't been a, a very strong voice on that in the powerlifting community that I feel like powerlifting community people have really like put on a pedestal. So I think it's just going to keep happening until somebody does that. Yeah, they're out there. One 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 uh, contact that I have, you you could uh, you should probably reach out to her, Joe Ellen Bender. Um, she works at the CrossFit gym and does pelvic floor PT okay. pretty much almost exclusively. So she's a good resource. And and besides you, kind of the first one I knew operating in that space. But yeah, um, all right, that Yeah, Joe Ellen Bender. She's good good people. Doc, yeah. well, thank you so much for your time. We're gonna get you out of here on the three dumbass questions we ask everyone. <laughs> so you got to answer them okay. first and most importantly. What's your favorite non-alcoholic seltzer? I would say LaCroix. I was drinking LaCroix in like 2004 because my mom came home with lemon LaCroix one day from Albertsons. And at first I was like, this tastes like shit. And then it kind of grew on me. Um, So I've gone through LaCroix phases in my life. Best flavor? Black cherry, probably. I think I've seen the black cherry LaCroix. That's uh, I'm going to look for that one. All right, number two, we need your PR song. You're you're going for a max squat. What what are you throwing on the... uh... The speakers is going to go on a playlist for the pod. So like the past two years of training, anytime somebody's going for a PR, it always comes on. We call it like our early 2000s hard rock playlist. And it's it's adjacent to a Nickelback song. It's like the, the toss a coin to the ferryman Nickelback song. It's right after that one. So because I can't remember that one, I'm going to say toss a coin to the ferryman by Nickelback. It's a dark horse. Most people that I play it for at this point don't know that it's Nickelback, but it was like the classic, like, fuck yeah, Nickelback song. I think it's first Nickelback on the playlist, and the playlist is getting pretty deep now, so we'll we'll, we'll take it. I do have an affinity for like bands that everyone just absolutely hates, because I always think there's like at least one good song, and the Nickelback song. that was the song. And then then Photograph. I would go I was, with Rockstar, the Rockstar song okay. where, where he's just talking about all the dumb shit. I'm just, I, it's I so asinine. Super, I wasn't I'm, super into Rockstar, but like when we had our eighth grade graduation ceremony and they were playing like the PowerPoint of pictures from junior high, that photograph was playing. So like 
The photograph is definitely seared into my brain. Top tier Nickelback song, not a good PR song, in my opinion. All right. Um, last question. What do you define as strong? So we've had any number of answers to this question, but the goal is you walk in the gym, you're you're doing a lift or a session, and you see somebody across the room, they do what specific thing to make you look at them and be like, that is a strong person. I don't know if it would be as much a singular thing, but in my opinion, the best capacity test of that is the super total. So squat, bench, deadlift, clean and jerk, snatch, all in a day. Like the John Cena super total. Without farting. Without farting. Yes. I can't remember what I got last time we did it. But that, like the Nickelback song was played. Like it was like, you have eight minutes for each lift. It was just a, a dude Saturday. Well, actually, no. There were girls from the gym there, too. It was a it was a max out Saturday. And that song in the last two minutes would just be queued up, ready to go for, uh, let's see if we could PR. So super total. John Cena's definition is 2,000 pounds plus is considered strong. You have the John Cena stamp of approval. Perfect. There you go. Well, Will, thanks again for the time. I really appreciate yeah, it. And um, how can how can people find you out there and um, plug your business too? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at docmills.dpt. My clinic website, aliniaperformance.com, as well as at aliniaperformance on Instagram and Facebook. More than recently, we've been putting out more of my content on Alinea Performance's page, not so much my current professional page. But I'm about to start doing more streaming and having more dude conversations while either doing a topic stream or just playing video games and streaming like a like a gamer streamer uh, while talking about specific topics. So that's coming in uh, sooner than later, and I'm going to be posting more about that on my personal. So. One other thing I'd like Will to shout out is if people listening to this do have issues like you're talking about here, how do they go about finding somebody that specializes in this stuff? Do you do telehealth or how? what's a good resource to find PTs that specialize in this? Yeah, we do telehealth. If you were interested in doing telehealth with us, that would be as simple as reaching out to us on Instagram in a DM or send in an email to infobr at Alinea Performance. So info, Baton Rouge, BR at aliniaperformance.com. And then from a resources guide, I did my continuing education through Herman and Wallace. They have a map on there for people that are Herman and Wallace certified, but there's not a whole lot of dudes on it. So there's a lot more females in the pelvic PT space. A lot of them do treatment. There's just not that many that are truly trying to specialize in only treating them. I think, I think you're working in an important area and it was illuminating for me as a PT. I can only imagine how much the, the listeners are getting out of this one. So yeah. appreciate your time. Thanks for having me guys. Thanks so much. Will. I hope you guys enjoyed that upon this recording. I haven't heard it yet. I'm sure it's fantastic. Anything worth talking about on the smoker, the streamer, anything cool. I got one stream of the week. Well, let, let's go yours first. Cause I got, I got a long one. I got a double stream of the week. Barry, HBO Barry, weirdest show you'll, uh, you think, I and mean, I think we've talked about this, really dark comedy. I mean, this is up there with Righteous Gemstones as far as how strange this is. Bill Hader is just completely out of it. Fantastic show. Uh, since I started shaving my head, my buddy calls me. Um, no, ho maybe, Hank. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I, I don't Maybe Maybe you called me that or he called me that, but uh, that's, uh, that's my lookalike there. Um, I got two, and I don't like these shows usually. So there's an exception. It's a little outside the box here. 
Love is Blind season two. Uh, have you guys seen Love is Blind or do you dabble? Never seen it. So this is a great compromise show with wife. You're going to suggest that she's like, holy shit, I, I can't believe you want to watch the show. But it's good because they take fucking people, men and women, and they have to do these pods and they talk to each other, but they can't see each other. And then they have to propose a sight unseen. So a little spicy there. So that's a good one. Love is Blind season two. <laughs> so season one was good. Season two was really good. But don't ask me why I've seen both seasons. And then follow up brought to you by the same people that brought to you Love is Blind season two. The Ultimatum, which seems to be an even bigger train wreck. I'm three episodes in. Ultimatum is these couples. And it's like six couples that are all one wants to get married and the other person is not ready to make the commitment. So they get to do like a meet and greet for like three days and determine which other person from a different couple they're going to go spend three weeks in a hotel room with and possibly smash to see if the person they originally came with is the right person for them. It is a disaster. And, and quick side note, when you watch the ultimatum, at first it's like swag thing. And then when they break up and they go with their new like trial spouse, when they do that and go with their new trial spouse, the hotel rooms look like complete shit. Like they have like the 1970 microwaves, and like these shitty refrigerators. Like, so this show looks like it was thrown together in about four minutes, but I love it. Uh, great show. And you did a worse job on selling me to watch the show than you did for the Woodstock documentary. There's, <laughs> there's no chance I'm going to watch either of these shows. Oh, bummer. This is fantastic. Down the road, we got to hear how it ends because I don't know. I mean, it just sounds like every MTV or VH1 show that was ever created. It's just now probably on Netflix without the commercial. Yeah, maybe I'm just bringing my next point. Do you remember next? Did I remember next? We used to, we went through a huge next phase of college where, you know, we're down in the basement, you know, and you, yeah. Love Long Next. Story. Next yeah. was awesome. Next was, Next was a great show. Fucking phenomenal show. Yeah. Wouldn't there be like two situations in one episode so it would be like a 10-minute thing? Like it was just like you just knock them out. They were quick. Next was just, I mean, fantastic. Because you'd see like somebody would make the slightest mistake or like when they talk or say something's next. Oh, the shit. best is when they'd be introducing yourself and it'd be like some hot chick out there. And she'd be like sitting there waiting to you know, have a picnic and this fat son of a bitch that looks just, you know, missing <laughs> is introducing himself. I'm going to give her Southern charm. And she, he just walks out and she's like, next, he's gone. <laughs> like, bitch, you knew that. They picked you for a reason. But the great thing about Love is Blind is the whole premise of the show is to not be superficial and see beyond. And I'm saying like, like this guy looks like a fucking turd. His eyes are so fucking far apart. Like he looks like a frog. Like I'm like judging every single person on how they look and see how they match up with the person that they're matching up with. So I've never been more superficial in my life than when I'm watching Love is Blind, the show designed to make you less superficial. That's <laughs> all I can say about that. Speaking of MTV dating shows, you seem like a big Date My Mom fan. Were you, were you big into that one in college days, too? Yeah, absolutely, sir. Yes, I've watched probably every episode where you had to charm the mom and then the mom picks for you. Yeah. Yeah. That was an awesome show. Moms and dads have terrible taste in the opposite sex of their, like, younger kids because they think everyone that's, like, your age that's the opposite sex is, like, the smartest, hottest chick or, like, guy ever, you know? Like, they're just like, oh, they're 20? Oh. You might as well just go ahead and marry him. You're not going to do any better. Well, in fact, and look, we were young enough back then to think our parents are anything other than just regular fucked up humans like the rest of us. Like, <laughs> when you're growing up, you're like, oh, these people, they're older, so they must be, like, superhuman, amazing. And then you realize, like, ah, you guys are fucked up like me. Like, yeah. and you're going to be picking that. You're just picking someone who you think that you are like. Like, that's what you're doing, mom. What the fuck? 
Exactly. Uh, funny. Dan, I know you're an NBA fan. I know we're getting out of here after this, but any hot takes on the 1-1 series right now? Keep this. I want to see how accurate you are. Uh, Celtics, Bucks, or the Wizards, Grizzlies series? Who you got winning? The, the Grizzlies are playing the Warriors. Yeah, what did I say? Wizards? Wizards, yeah. Christ, yeah. Of course yeah. <laughs> the Wizards, they, yeah. They the playoffs. Um, yeah, so uh, great uh, great point. I think that the Middleton injury is going to kill the Bucks, but I'm not ruling out a Giannis. But, so I'll go Celtics in seven. And then I can't believe people still talk shit on Steph Curry. But, you know, like, I, I don't, I'll never fucking understand it. But Ja's been pretty – he had a great game last game, been a little inconsistent. I think that the, the Warriors get it done in six or seven. So I'll go Warriors, Celtics. And then the other two series, which sucks, is, you know, like the Sixers. The Sixers, I think, are going to lose. Embiid's not playing game three. And I think the Mavericks, although Luka's playing – if you got to watch Luka, he's yeah, playing he's out of his mind. But the problem is the Suns have two guys, and Chris Paul is playing the best of his career, and they have um, – Aiton, who's playing great, and Booker. So it's like it's kind of one versus. Like, I mean, can you really fault Luca for this series? It kind of sucks because like he's just got no chance. He needs a real number two. I think the Suns are probably going to play the Celtics. My heart says this. My brain says the Celtics because they just seem hot right now. They just seem like they're clicking. The one, the Bucks, and like you said, Giannis could steal it. The Heat are the are the real deal. I don't know. Heat aren't the real deal. I think if Giannis could steal it, if they could beat the somehow beat the Celtics in like a crazy seven game series, where Giannis right. goes off, and then you get Middleton back for mid Heat and you know mid because he's pretty important, dude. I thought he was really good last year and a big reason why they won the championship. All right, cool. I always like to pick your brain on NBA. Any hitters, boys? I'm going to keep throwing out hitters from Mr. O'Hare now that I got him listening to the podcast. He keeps sending them to me like every day now. So we got front lines by Diabolic and Immortal Technique. Cool. Dan? Uh, nothing on the docket right now. I have some good hitters, but like nothing to like vibe with the playlist in a way that's, uh, you know, sustainable for you guys. <laughs> I don't either. Uh, Kendrick Lamar has an album dropping next week. So when you guys hear this, it'll probably be this week. First one, it's a multi disc album. I've never been a huge Kendrick guy. I'm going to try this time. I'm trying hard. So we'll see. We'll be back next week with another guest and uh, have a good week, boys.